Good morning, everybody. It is really good to be here. Thanks for coming this morning. We are in the last week of the Bad Religion series. Uh, we're going to kick off a new series this next week, so we hope that you're there here for that. Uh, about 20 years ago, I worked with a woman. Uh, she was a really interesting woman. She loved animals, and she took in all kinds of stray cats and dogs, and she rehabilitated them so that they could uh, find homes. And we had some really interesting spiritual conversations. She believed in uh, reincarnation and some other um, Eastern religious things that I really didn't know anything about. And I was in the very beginning stages of learning to follow Jesus. So uh, one day, she came to work, and she just seemed really down. And when I got a chance to ask her what was going on, she began to tell me the story that she She'd uh, taken in this dog, and he was really, really hard. She wasn't having any success uh, as she was trying to train him. She bought him a collar and a leash, and within the first few minutes of putting it on him and trying to have a training session, he just chewed right through the leash. So she went out, and she bought the very same collar and leash, a very expensive collar and leash, put it on him, same thing happened. Within a few minutes, he just chewed right through the leash. But this time, she was so frustrated and angry that she took the leash and she hit the dog on the nose with it and injured the dog, made the dog yelp and cry. And as she's telling me this story, you guys, she was absolutely devastated. She said, I hit this dog that was already traumatized. Why did I do that? That's not who I am. I am on this earth to be kind to animals. And she just went on and on, and I listened, and I tried to assure her, you know, like, you're a human being. We all do things we wish we could undo. But she looked at me, and she said, Carla, I believe in reincarnation. The, my purpose on this earth is to be kind to animals, and I failed my purpose. I'm going to have to do this life over again until I get it right. She is dead serious. My friend had no concept, no knowledge, no understanding of grace. So she had no margin for error. And I'm starting with this story because although my friend had a very different set of religious beliefs than most of us in the room this morning, she fell into exactly the same trap that so many of us who claim to follow Jesus fall into all the time. She thought that she could earn God's love. She could earn a place in God's world by being good. In her case, by being kind to and working with animals. And this is bad religion. And it's not just out there, it's in here because so many of us fall into this trap too, believing that we can earn God's love and acceptance by being good. So that's the bad religion we're gonna look at this morning. So when you think about this and how pervasive it is across all world religions, where does it come from? Where does this idea that we can earn God's love come from? And if you think about it for very long, you realize that everything in our life is based on earning. It's just the way the world works. Earning begins at birth. Every single baby is given an APGAR score, the score between zero and 10, like minutes after they're born, and only doctor's babies get 10s. <laughs> it's not fair from the very start. Toddlers, they start getting report cards in preschool. 
And that earning and evaluation during the school years never ends. It just keeps going. But adults earn points too for things like flying frequently. You can um, get better boarding, get a better seat, get all kinds of points for flying. If we're good at work, we can earn a promotion. If you eat burritos and get enough points, punches on your burrito card, you can earn a free burrito. But some of us have these internal earning systems too, just in case like nobody's actively evaluating us at the, more, at the moment. And it usually sounds something like this. Could I do better? Could I do more? Am I doing enough? Could I work harder? If anybody was watching me right now, would I make the cut? Did I earn ice cream today? Let me think about my day. Yes, yes, I definitely deserve some ice cream today. But uh, our internal earning system can also be based upon comparing ourselves to other people. I look around me and I say, I'm doing better than her, I'm doing better than him, so I must be okay. A few years ago, our last three kids were all going to enter college at the same time. So three chestnut children going to college at the same time. We were like working the scholarships really hard. We were filling out uh, college applications, reminding them to like check deadlines and get their references and edit their essays. And then when all the applications were sent, we waited. We waited to find out if anybody wanted them and what kind of aid package they might get. So we learned about two kinds of financial aid during this time, merit-based aid and need-based aid. So merit-based aid is all about how well you perform, how hard you work, how good you are at school stuff. It's about your GPA, your class rank, your ACT score, but it doesn't stop at academics. Uh, can you sing? Do you play piano? Do you play another instrument? Have you won any contests? Do you have any uh, awards? How good is your voice? Are you an all-stater? If you play a sport, how long have you played? Do you have any records in your name? Do you play varsity? Has your team won a state championship? What kind of service or volunteer work do, have you done? How many hours have you put in? And it just goes on and on and on, this merit-based aid. You have to earn merit-based aid. And you've got to figure out how to promote yourself in such a way that the school or the scholarship believes you deserve it. And then when you get it, you have to keep performing at a high level to keep it. And here's the truth. Earning merit-based aid rocks because somebody's finally noticed how hard you've been working. And they, they should notice because you're exhausted and you don't even know if you can keep it up. Does this sound familiar to you? It doesn't stop after school, does it? We carry this earning attitude into every area of our life. We carry it into our parenting, evaluating, comparing, earning. We carry it into our marriages. We carry it into our work, and we even carry it into our faith. Even in church, there's performing and achieving and measuring going on. Who's here on a Sunday morning and who's not? So you guys all get to check that box, which is nice. Who gets the extra credit by volunteering or serving or participating in all the stuff? Who believes the right things about the right subjects? 
who carries their Bible or can quote scripture from memory or can pray out loud. So why do we do it? Why do we do this whole earning, earning, earning thing? It's just, it's the way the world works. It's how the world is set up. And so we assume that it must be the way things work with God too. And before you know it, we're all just trying to earn God's love. Just like my friend with her dogs, trying to earn God's love. So that's merit-based aid. You've got to earn it. Then there's need-based aid. You get this aid if you need it. Colleges calculate the gap between what students have and what students need. This aid isn't earned, it's given. So what kind of aid do you think a student would rather get? Need-based or merit-based aid? Merit-based, obviously. So here's the big question. What kind of aid does God give? Does God give merit-based or need-based aid? God only gives need-based aid, and we call it grace. So this morning, we're going to think about grace as God's unmerited favor. It's given to us. It's unearned. It means that we get the favor of God before we ever even have a chance to earn it or deserve it or do anything to get it. Grace is God's favor, and it's given to us for no reason except for God's mercy and kindness towards us. We just sang about it a little bit ago. Now, most of us, especially if you've been around the church for a while, most of us know this is true in our heads. And we say we, God only gives need-based aid, but we live as if God gives merit-based aid. Most of us, I think if we're really honest, we would rather, we have a strong desire to earn God's love, to earn God's smile, to earn God's forgiveness. But did you know that there's no place in the Bible that says God helps those who help themselves? It's just not in there. But it says all kinds of things like this. This is a statement that the prophet Isaiah made in the book of Isaiah. And he is talking about God himself. And this is what it says. For you have been a strong place for those who could not help themselves and for those in need because of much trouble. You have been a safe place from the storm and a, shade from, and a shadow from the heat. In his letter to the Romans, Paul, this is in the New Testament, says this. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. That is how the Bible describes grace. Grace is God's help for the helpless and the hopeless. God's grace is not a gold star for the top performer or the good ones. You can't earn God's love. That's not the way God's economy works. So Paul talks about grace a lot in the Bible, and we're going to look at a, a section of Ephesians where Paul describes grace starting like this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. So the ways of this world, what does that mean? It means the way of earning, striving, achieving, comparing ourselves to others. And then 
this really strong phrase, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So the topic of sin is really difficult. It's hard to talk about, it's hard to hear, and I think we have people in a lot of different places in the room, so I wanna talk to three different groups of people in the room. Some of you, I think, are saying to yourself, you know, I don't really sin anymore, but the people around me really do, (laughs) so I'm glad we're talking about it in church. The truth is, we all contribute to the brokenness in the world, both intentionally and unintentionally. And furthermore, sin is not just like my and your individual acts. There's this collective capital letter sin that is actually a cosmic malevolent force at work in the world. And we all participate in it both intentionally and unintentionally, knowingly and and unknowingly all the time. So that's the first group. The second group, you, when we start talking about sin, you kind of stop listening or you get a little bit mad. And I get that. I understand some people have been beaten over the head with sin. Um, Faith has all started with sin. It might help you if you are this person to think about the parts of you that just aren't okay. The parts of you that no matter how hard you try don't line up with just who you want to be. And and even people who are outside of a faith tradition understand that there's something about us that just tends to kind of make a mess of things. It might also help you to think about uh, how often we feel superior to other people, especially around like our social or political opinions and how we tend to demonize people who think differently than we do? Have you noticed that we all seem to need an enemy to hate? This is what it means to be dead in sin. There's no life there. It's what Paul's talking about. The third group of you are those of you who are thinking, all I, all I think about is my sin. All I think about is my sin and how I, if I would do anything to go back and change what I've done. And I think this was me for the first 10 years that I followed Jesus, holding on to failure, shame, um, unable to forgive myself, trying to make up for it by being really good, being like a good mom and a good wife, and just falling into this trap of bad religion, thinking that somehow I could earn or make up for my sin. So no matter which group you are in, Whether you think you don't sin, you hate it when we talk about sin, or you're just drowning in guilt, we're all in the same boat. We all need grace, and there's only one thing we can do about it. We can hold out our hands, and we can receive the gift that is grace, and the only way we can receive it is in faith, with open hands. And this is really, really good news. This is the best news. Grace, through Jesus, is God's rescue plan for you and me. So whenever I start thinking about grace, I think about unmerited favor, that we can't earn it, that God gives it to us, I always end up asking why. Why does God give us grace? Why does Jesus come to rescue us? Why do we find favor with God that we didn't have to earn? Listen to Paul's answer as he continues in Ephesians to unpack this. So he's already said, you were dead in your transgressions and sins when you, used to, when you lived in the ways of the world, this earning, achieving, striving. But listen to how he continues to unpack grace. He says, 
But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Why? Do you see it? Why does God give us the greatest need-based aid package the world has ever seen? It's not because we deserve it. It's not because we earn it. It is because that is who God is. He is merciful and kind, and he loves us so much. We move from the dead to the alive column because of God's great love for us, period. That's why. And this is the gospel. This is an invitation to participate in something brand new, something radically different than the ways of this world. So how do we respond to the invitation? This gift. Because the gift needs to be received, and we can't earn it by being good, we have to open our hands and receive it in faith if we want to live free from bad religion. So the beautiful thing is when our hands are open and we're free to receive this gift of grace, this gift of love that flows from a loving God, when our hands are open, that love is free to flow into our hands and out of our hands into the lives of the people around us. Open hands offered to God build our trust in God and his love for us. So that's the first way I want you to think about responding to this message. How do you learn to build, to know and trust the love that God has for us? And this is the truth. Learning to know and trust God and his love for us is the primary work of faith. Not all our effort to be good and earn his love, the primary work of faith is resting in the knowledge of God's love and trusting it's what you really need to live. Remember what Paul said, you move from the dead to the alive in Christ column. Okay, so your assignment is to go home and to, to, to think about this. Do I know God and do I trust his love for me? And I don't know what that looks like for you, but this is one of the ways that I think about it. A couple of years ago, I had an eight-hour plane ride in economy in the middle seat. So that's great. And I was just doing all of this self-talk, like, you are going to be a good traveler. You are not going to hog the armrests. You are not going to fidget. You are not going to get up and go to the bathroom a whole bunch. So I was really just doing the thing. I was on the plane, getting ready for eight hours. Uh, The person on the aisle seat was there. This window seat was empty. And down the plane aisle came this beautiful woman. She was just lovely and young and dressed really nice, but not like fancy, just she was just kind of the perfect, beautiful woman. And she looked at the number above the row and looked at me, and then I got up and she gave me a really warm smile, which was really nice, and she sat down in the window seat. And then I looked over at her and she kind of smiled at me, and it was a really warm smile, but it was a smile that said, we're not going to really do that visiting thing, okay? (laughs) So I was like, all right, I can totally do that, I get it. So we're about an hour into the flight, probably cruising at 30,000 feet. The cabin's pressurized, and I get thirsty. So I reached down, got my water bottle, opened it up, and squirted this woman right in the face. (laughs) Big old squirt of water in the face. I look at her, and she's doing all of this stuff. 
you can see it on her face, her reaction. Then you can see her bend her will to be kind to me. And she turned, and she smiled, and she turned back and cleaned off her face. So I tell you this story because I think if I'm honest, when I'm in the grip of bad religion, my life really consists of sitting in that middle seat and not squirting God in the face with a water bottle. (laughs) Metaphorically, of course. But when you think about the work that Jesus did to move us from the dead to the alive column, what a sad life. What a sad life with God to really picture your relationship with God as just keeping your elbows in and not squirting him in the face. And you know what the truth is? God would have laughed and he would have put his arm around me and he would have said, Carla, you tend to squirt me in the face with a water bottle, don't you? And I would have said, yeah, I do. Thanks for being the kind of God that you are. So our first response is to learn to know and trust God's love for us. Do I trust that God doesn't have to do a thing with his face? He doesn't have to bend his will to love me because he is God. And because of his great love for us, he sent us this gift of Jesus as a rescue. So God doesn't just tolerate us. He loves us. And and our primary work of faith is to learn to trust that love. The second thing I want you to do when you think about your response is ask this question of yourself. Where do I put most of my energy? Trying to be good or trying to be alive in Christ? What does it look like to be rescued? What does it look like to be alive in Christ? Because the truth is, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. That's the radical truth of our faith. Do you see how damaging bad religion can be? It can just get us, my husband and I were talking last night and he was talking about his grandfather who's one of the pillars of faith for him, but he remembers a phrase that was always in his grandfather's prayer and it was, God, may I be good enough in your sight. And that's kind of a sad prayer because who wants to live a good enough life? I think Jesus is calling us into a life that we can't even imagine, a love that we can't imagine, and some power through the Holy Spirit that we cannot imagine. So ask yourself this question. Do I spend more energy trying to be good, or am I learning what it means to be alive in Christ? This is the invitation that Jesus made. Uh, This is in the Bible. I'm actually going to read it out of the message, so it's a paraphrase. This is found in Matthew 11, and this is Jesus' invitation to those who are listening to enter into the life that he uh, brought for us. This is Jesus. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus' main invitation to us is to learn to be alive in him. God's offer through Jesus is that we can recover our life, but we don't do it by earning. We do it by walking with Jesus. 
This is where we devote our energy, not to being good, but to being with Jesus. And then this weird God math happens because Jesus is the only force that has the power to make us good anyway. Learning from and walking with Jesus changes us, and it can change the world. We have so much influence when we have open hands to receive grace. We have so much influence in the lives of the people around it. Think about your life alive in Christ and how that influence could flow into your family, into your friendships, into your classrooms, into your jobs, how it could flow on to our enemies. So our invitation from Jesus is to break out of the clutch of bad religion by trusting that open hands to Jesus will lead to recovering our life this life that Jesus came to bring. And then we get to offer that glimpse of grace to the people around us. And this is really good news. And you know what? Grace is too good to be true. And it's one of those things about following Jesus that doesn't make sense. But we have permission to not try and make sense of it. So our response to Jesus, to the gift of grace from God, is learn to trust God and the love he has for you, and then spend some time with this question. How much energy am I spending trying to be good? And what would it look like to learn to be alive in Christ? Will you pray with me, and then we're going to sing together. God, you are beyond anything we can imagine. You got everything started. You, uh, you breathed life into us. And then... Uh, because we're both made in your image, and we, God, we confess that in so many ways we want to be God. We want to be you. We want to earn your love. We want to be worthy of uh, being a part of your world and your life. We just confess that right now. Would you help us to trust who you are? Would you help us to trust the love that you have for us? Whatever it looks like for each one of our lives, whatever it looks like to open our hands, and receive the grace that you freely give, would you help us to do that? If it looks like um, humbling ourselves to realize that uh, sin might actually be a problem in our life, if it looks like getting rid of the desire to make up for our sin, if it looks like having the courage to let go of guilt and shame and uh, to actually turn our face to you, would you help us to do that? And God, it's my prayer that you would get us out of the middle seat of an eight-hour economy plane ride, that you would give us a vision that what it looks like to be alive in Christ is not just a good enough life, a life where we don't, uh, we're mostly worried about not making a mess of things. Would you give us a vision of what Jesus was inviting us into, what he continues to invite us into? Would you help us to recognize Holy Spirit alive within us? showing us what, uh, what love can do in this world. Thank you, because of your great love for us, you made us alive in Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.